Serge Lutens. The Japanese Revelation. It was in 1971, on a long business trip to Asia for Dior, that Serge Lutens discovered the country that, unknown to him, would go on to have a significant impact on his work. Japan. Admittedly, Serge had other things on his mind in the early 70s. Since his arrival in Paris in 1964, and in the short span of 10 years, the artist from Lille had become a leading figure in the world of fashion and beauty. With rebellious insolence and characteristic individuality, his creativity found expression in a gamut of fields ranging from makeup to photography. You could love him or hate him, but you couldn't ignore him. Even though Serge had some insight into Japanese culture through films like Akira Kurosawa's Throne of Blood or Hiroshi Teshigara's Woman in the Dunes, nothing in this first trip to Japan could foretell the mutual admiration that would come into play between the two distinctly different spirits. His teammates from Dior were worn out by jet lag. But Lutens seemed blissfully untouched. Charged with energy, Serge was thrilled by the discovery of this new culture and brimmed with a curiosity to explore new horizons, such as No and Kabuki theatre. On a photo shoot for a Japanese magazine, he met Bando Tamasaburo in costume, the legendary practitioner of the art of kabuki and an actor who specialized in female roles. For the first time, the young Serge saw his own obsessions reflected in a country and culture situated thousands of miles away from his world. His amazement went even further. Some people have a way of absorbing their environment more than others. Serge was one of these people. He felt himself taking on these mannerisms and becoming Japanese through the course of the trip. Was it this fascination for the country that made him leave Dior in 1980 and sign a new partnership with the cosmetics group Shiseido? It's hard to say, but one thing was certain. A part of his being was irresistibly drawn to the culture, marking the beginning of a creative dialogue between the Frenchman and the Far Eastern archipelago. A rich exchange made possible by mutual admiration and respect. Serge Lutens was able to communicate with the hundreds of employees of the group throughout the 80s, despite not speaking a word of Japanese and vice versa. Lutens had some things going in his favor, an absolute workaholic. He could spend hours and hours in the studio to touch up a makeup look, adjust an outfit or a photo shoot set, wearing out even the toughest of his colleagues in the process. A complete perfectionist, he couldn't stand even the smallest flaw, and he would be willing to redo a makeup color 
packaging or design over and over again, more than 10 times if necessary. Shiseido's employees were left speechless. They had found somebody even more obsessive than them. But the results spoke for themselves. The French man had promised them worldwide recognition, and he handed it to them on a silver platter. Lutens was acclaimed, celebrated. His talent and uncompromising vision for absolute excellence won him accolades, and it represented an ideal to which Japan was intimately attached. This shared samurai-like code of ethics would go on to shape the fate of Lutens and Shiseido for close to 20 years. Serge Lutens, your name has become so synonymous with Shiseido that one associates your discovery of Japan to your time working for them. Yet, you had actually made your first trip to Japan 10 years before that. Je rencontre le Japon en 1971. C'est donc dans la même période. I discovered Japan in 1971. So, around the same time as, let's say, Morocco because my trip to the latter took place in 1968. And just after that, in 1971, I went to Japan, and it came as a shock. A shock because I found a country that was completely untouched. At the time, travelling meant discovery. Even though it seems remarkable to us now, there was very little tourism. Tourism hadn't yet become this mass phenomenon, if you will. Les gens ne se déplaçaient pas de la même façon et rencontrer le Japon, c'était extraordinaire. People didn't move from one place to another in the same way and Japan was an extraordinary place. Soon after I arrived, I was taken under the wing by a friend who's now no more called Peko. Peko Fujimoto was an amazing girl who sanded down sports cars with emery cloths to restore the metal to its original color. She drove them at top speed too. She was friends with writers and artists, so I was thrown quickly into this very exciting world and we got along like a dream. She was the one who introduced me to Japan and shared her love of all things Japanese. And there was this kind of, you know, the thing I like about Japan is this perfectionism. This sense of finishing something, of taking something right to the finish line. The Japanese are kamikazes, and I like that. I like people who see things through to their end. Even death. Like in the book of Seppuku, called Hagakure, I believe, which describes this kind of voluntary death to maintain honor. In this kind of honorable death, your life has not been a failure because you have ended it voluntarily. I find this vision quite beautiful. And this sense of honor is something you find in Japanese craftsmanship and its approach to life. One doesn't really encounter a country, you know. One finds it reflected within the self. The Japanese side of me, the Moroccan side of me are quite different. Even though in both countries one takes off their shoes before entering the home, for instance, 
but a kind of invisible thread of nobility bound these two countries together in my mind. It's extraordinary, this Japanese approach to craftsmanship, which demands and requires such a level of perfection that it is a kind of death, but a glorious death. Because, you know, I've seen some of the most beautiful woodwork in the world there, extremely precise, assembled together without a single screw or nail, which doesn't move at all, except for the contraction of winter and the expansion of the beam in summer. Les assemblages qui étaient faits à Nara, c'est-à-dire une des plus belles cités du Japon avec Kyoto, c'est éblouissant. These constructions can be found in Nara, one of the most beautiful sites in Japan after Kyoto, and they are stunning. An impressive feat of architecture, but quite different from what you find in Morocco. And yet, I can tell you that in some way, even the house I constructed in Morocco took its cues from Japan. Cette idée de perfection, cette idée de choses qui ne se terminent pas, cette idée de ne pas livrer les choses aux yeux du monde ou aux yeux des gens. From this idea of perfection, of things which must endure and last, the idea of keeping things secret and not sharing everything for the eyes of the world and its people, all this was very Japanese in essence. Which is to say, to stay with something, to keep at it. In Morocco, it is a thing of joy, in Japan, almost a kind of punishment, but a glorious punishment, one that takes you to heaven and hell back. So you see, there are always two sides to me. I am the perpetrator and also the judge. I need both to exist. Je suis mon propre juge et je suis mon propre coupable en même temps. J'ai besoin de ces deux éléments. Was it the memory of this trip that made you want to work with the Japanese company later? Non, non. Non, c'est tout est un accident. Vous savez, toute la vie est une succession de choses. J'ai connu tellement de choses. No, no, no. It was all an accident. You know, life is just a succession of events. And I've had so many different experiences. During my 14 years at Dior, I even ended up creating their makeup line, which didn't really exist until then, except for lipsticks. Je me suis retrouvé dans des métiers que je n'ai jamais appris. I found myself doing things I had never trained in. I didn't learn makeup or any of this. I hadn't studied photography either. I simply did these things the way I like to do them and because I had a strong vision. The way you listen and see, that's what counts. The rest is all incidental. You know, I come back to this video of Nuriev in which he is being criticized for not dancing like in the Leningrad ballet. So you're not fully respecting the rules. He said it to himself. I learned a lot from female dancers and from women. So in a way, he freed himself from his body through women, and his body was liberated from the shackles of technical rigidity, if you see what I mean. An excess of technique can lead to death if one becomes enslaved to it. One needs an understanding of both. One needs to have the knowledge, but also know when to break free from it. One can see that you have felt a real sense of communion with Japan over the course of the years. Would that kind of meeting be possible had you encountered the country today? Does Japan still have a strong place in your heart now? Le Japon, je vous l'ai dit, il était déjà en moi. Et le Maroc, 
identiques. I will say it again, Japan was already in me, just like Morocco, as well as France and the haute couture of the time, and by that I mean the things I took to be sacred, this idea of female beauty and excellence, which no longer exists, but it lives on in me, and that's what matters in the end. I have no sense of nostalgia about it or idealism about the past. Something existed which was beautiful, and that's all there is to it. The height of haute couture is not something created by haute couture itself, if you see what I mean, but by the attitude and high standards of the women at the time. I worked for Dior, as I said, and if you've seen the film Les Dames du Bois de Boulogne, directed by Robert Bresson, with dialogues by Cocteau, you'll know the kind of social class I am speaking of. They work together to write these masterful, poetic dialogues and tell the story of a woman seeking vengeance, a woman looking for revenge. Does that ring a bell? I am the living incarnation of a woman's revenge, so of course, that film spoke to me. You once said, Japan embodies passion, discipline and torture, a nation of timekeepers who would love to beat the clock, but always ends up on time. What did you mean by that? Nothing other than that, if you will. How should I put it? One must be... There is a kind of discipline one is subject to in a near-constant way. There is rigour, dedication to the task at hand, deference to one's work. Morocco is quite something else. But both these directions were necessary for me, as always, a great living, breathing contradiction. You no longer work directly for Shiseido. Do you miss Japan? How is it still alive in your work? La même façon, c'est-à-dire quelque chose qui s'aboutit, qui qui va, qui nous porte, qui nous conduit. In the same way, which is to say, something that makes you see things through the end, that guides you to an ideal of accomplishment. But the idea of perfection is different for different people, really. Perfection is hard to quantify. And at the same time, one must be careful not to make it a general principle. If there is no love in the idea of perfection, it's meaningless. If there is no love hidden inside, no love that lives deep in you and becomes one with you, then it's not worth the effort. Thank you for listening.